0: Uh, roads less traveled and we're going to finish that up this week we've been looking at two different roads uh, every week and we're going to finish that up with two more today and uh, I want us to pray that the Lord would move and touch in all of our classes that he would have his way today let's join together in prayer thank you Lord Jesus for today I thank you Lord for this opportunity and privilege to be here gathered together again and Lord I ask you that you would just have your way this morning in every class that you would anoint every teacher as they speak your word Lord, that you would anoint every ear to hear your word that you have for us today, God. Lord, I believe you and and trust you, Lord, that your word will do the work that it's here to do, and Lord, we give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. (coughs) Excuse me. Hopefully that's it. Roads less traveled. And uh, we started out uh, not with the verse, and it's not necessarily even following uh, the road of the path, of the, the poem. Uh, But we start out by uh, reading that poem by Robert Frost. We'll read it again today. And it says this, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So we've been looking at some roads that we come across, and again, these are roads, and uh, we've mentioned it before that... We don't necessarily come across every day. These are roads that may come across once in a lifetime or perhaps just uh, at significant moments we encounter these. But the roads uh, that we encounter really are choices where we come to a decision point. And we talked about the road to Moriah and sometimes we are called to the road of sacrifice. And we realize that getting to the mountaintop does not come without sacrifice. We talked about uh, the, the, the road that Jesus took on the way to Golgotha. Uh, what is traditionally now been called the Via Dolorosa. And we looked at it a little bit different in that the fact that we are sometimes called upon to suffer for a cause. Choosing, uh, the, the Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that he did that not just because it was obligation, not just because it was what he's supposed to do, but he did it because there was a joy that was set before him. So willing to suffer for something to come to pass and the challenge within our own lives, and again, we talked about how that it's, it's very difficult to, to live your entire life like that. But moments when we're called upon to be willing to suffer for a cause. Last week we talked about the road in the wilderness. We talked about the Israelites, we talked about various people and the journey they took through the wilderness. And what we ultimately came to, uh, the final conclusion was, is that road in the wilderness where it feels like God is distant, where God may be far away, where it's a dry time. That one of the purposes, one of the main purposes when I find myself in that place is there's probably something in me that has to die. That God has taken me this way because something has to change and die within me. And so instead of asking for deliverance, instead of saying, God, take me out of this place, my prayers change to, Lord, what needs to change within me? What is it that you're trying to refine within me? And then we looked at the path to victory, the road to victory. We talked about the walls of Jericho and how many times the path Or the road to victory can almost look like the road in the wilderness We looked at how the children of israel had to march around the walls of jericho They had to trust god They had to believe and trust in his word and the road to victory is characterized by obedience whether it's an immediate victory God delivered me in this moment. God helped me in this moment or it's a path that needs to be walked for a while It's characterized by obedience and when they obeyed they obeyed despite the circumstances Remember we mentioned we don't read anywhere in scripture where as they marched around the walls anything changed The first day the second day third fourth fifth sixth even the seventh time Nothing changed and that the encouragement was is if god spoke to you Then the path to victory is obedience. I keep obeying his word if god told me to pray for somebody I'm going to keep praying for him if god told me to give if god told me to go whatever it is I'm going to keep doing it because I believe that obedience is the key to victory so the key is not to get our eyes onto the circumstance and how unchanging it may be. The key is to make sure that there's obedience within my life. And this week, we're going to look at two more roads, the last, not the last two roads. In fact, there's a lot of roads in Scripture. Uh, but we're going to look at these last two. And the first one I want to look at is the road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 16. And we'll be taking pieces out of this uh, as we go. And I have to remember that I don't have very long to talk about these. We're going to talk about two subjects that really, uh, it's going to be difficult to put into a small time frame, but we're going to do it. We're going to walk that road. We're going to run the road. How about that? Verse 13, it says, and behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus. The two of them were uh, two uh, disciples, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. Three score furlongs, which is about two hours, maybe seven miles ish. And they talked together of all these things which had happened, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holding that they should not know him. We have here, this is actually, uh, uh, the aspects of this story are are some, it's, it's really kind of a confusing story when you read it. We know that these, uh, there was these uh, two disciples uh, that were leaving home after the death of Jesus and actually after the resurrection of Jesus. We know from the details, and we'll look at it here in just a little bit, that they have heard the reports that the tomb is empty. They have heard reports that Jesus is no longer there. However, the reports were not enough to keep them in Jerusalem. Now, whether they had come for the, pa- for the festival that was taking place, whether they had come back and, and had joined together, that's probably what was happening. And now, they seem to believe that there's nothing more to keep them in Jerusalem. It's time to go home. And we read in these few verses that before long, uh, a, a person walks up to them and joins in their conversation. We know the end of the story. We know that it was Jesus and, and he was just kind of there, and Scripture tells us that, that it seems like Jesus walked with them, perhaps even for a little bit, uh, before they realized that somebody else was even there. And Jesus just kind of joined in. And Scripture tells us that their eyes were holding, that their eyes were held. Now, uh, 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 it it doesn't imply that there was anything uh, supernatural, this wasn't that something uh, supernatural was holding their eyes, but they were just, uh, Mark gives the idea that perhaps Jesus appeared in a different form, we're not sure, but I would venture to say that it was just their present circumstances and conversation that held their eyes. Now, you know, we mentioned, I think, last week when, when, you know, those moments when you just kind of space out. You know, you're driving and don't realize how you got to where you are. Just like, oh, wow, here I am. I don't even remember doing anything. Or you get so caught up in something that you can't see anything. There's a a, a famous study that was done, and you can watch the videos about it where they tell you to count the basketballs, and there's all these people bouncing basketballs, and right in the middle of it, this guy in a gorilla suit walks through. And they asked people, how many of you saw the gorilla? And it's amazing how many people didn't see the gorilla because they were so focused on the basketballs. But then when you watch again, there's this guy in this gorilla suit going like this all through the middle. Yeah, You didn't even see it. And so the idea that their eyes were taken away, their focus was changed. And the road to Emmaus, the road to Emmaus is the road to Revelation. The road of Revelation. And that's what we're going to talk about here for just a few minutes, Revelation. Now, we find here that that this story gets even more amazing when we look at the two disciples that were walking there. Uh, It mentions further on that the name of one of them was Cleopas, and there's uh, speculation about who this was. Obviously, uh, the first thing is people feel that this was someone that the people that the letter was being written to, the gospel was being written to of Luke, that people would have known who Cleopas was. He was well-known enough to say his name, and the other guy we just don't care about. but Cleopas, uh, some people say he was the father of James and John, uh, that it's, a, it's, a, it's another way to say Alphaeus. They, some people even feel that Cleopas was either Joseph or Mary's brother, making him possibly the uncle of Jesus himself. Now, we don't know whether that's true or not, but the closest we can come is, is, is people do venture to say that he was probably, these two men were probably part of the 70 disciples that Jesus had. Uh, not part of the 12, but part of this little bit bigger group of 70 disciples who followed him around. But we get the idea that because they're so engrossed in this conversation, that they care so much about this conversation, that they're doing a little bit more than just talking about the news of the day, that they have some sort of personal investment in what has taken place with this man, Jesus. So they, they have probably been in some fairly close proximity to Jesus throughout his ministry, they're not just strangers, but at some point they have been close enough to Jesus to care enough about it. And the amazing thing to me, and I don't know to you, is that Jesus walks with them, we don't know when Jesus joined them, but possibly walked with them for almost two hours, and they never recognized who Jesus was. That's just kind of an odd thing. Uh, I mentioned already that Mark in his account gives the idea that Jesus appeared in a different form. So he showed up and he had those funny glasses and a mustache on. Not really. But the fact remains that Jesus uh, appeared to two of his uh, followers and they didn't recognize him. And that seems crazy to me until I begin to think of my own life. (laughs) Until I begin to think of all the times in my own life that I miss Jesus walking right next to me. You see, it's so easy in scripture to start to condemn people and look at them, but you know what? My life is just perfect, right? Until I begin to look at them. And the first thing that this story reveals to us is that it's possible to know Jesus and still not recognize him. It's possible to know Jesus, but still not recognize him when he's walking right next to us. And I would venture to say that the first reason that that happens is what I gave at the start for the reason that their eyes were holding, is it's amazing how much focus our circumstances and what we are involved in right now take our eyes off of Jesus. It's amazing how much, uh, as we get so engrossed in what we're doing in our life and what's happening and what's going on and the details and the problems and all the things in our life, it's amazing, uh, it's amazing even in church how we cannot recognize Jesus, it's amazing how we can be involved in good things and not recognize Jesus. This was a good conversation they were having. They were talking about Jesus, and in the midst of talking about Jesus, Jesus is right next to them, and they don't recognize Jesus. I would also venture to say that there, this reveals to us something else. And that if they were part of the 70, we know they weren't part of the 12, but we get the idea that they were around Jesus. Is that there's a difference between knowing Jesus in a group and knowing Jesus for yourself. Now let's just apply that to ourselves. It's a whole lot different knowing Jesus when you come to church and knowing him on Wednesday when you're by yourself. You see it's easy and I believe I believe in church. I believe, in, I believe in the group dynamic. I believe that there's something that happens when we're all together. We pray together. We worship together. I believe there's something unique that happens. So that is, this is not an either-or situation. This is I need church, but I need to know God for myself as well. And it's important for us because when we're in a church setting, we have other people that can prompt us. You know, sometimes we come to church and, and you, know, we, we, you know, it's just been one of those mornings, you know. Maybe you had that morning today. It's just been one of those mornings, and you're like, man, this is, sh-, and, and your mind's distracted, your mind's every which way, and all kinds of stuff is going on, and you finally recognize that the Lord's in the place when the preacher gets up and says, I feel the Lord in this place, you're like, oh, maybe he is. So you got other people to remind you that God's really here. Or so-and-so, someone begins to worship, or, or a song, you you've got a praise team to get you, get you in the atmosphere, you got something to help you along, and it's all right, that's fine. But it's important for us to understand that I've got to know him more than just in a group setting. I need him to reveal himself to me. I need to know him in a personal way. I need to be able to pray when there's nothing else happening. I need to be able to hear God's voice without someone telling me that's God's voice. I need that in my life because it becomes very easy then when I'm not in the setting and everyone says, come here, Jesus, and all of us gather together and they say, that's Jesus. And yet when it comes to the fact that he's walking right next to me, I don't recognize him. That's an issue in my life. It's possible to know him in a group setting, but I need him to reveal himself to me. Now, the two roads we're talking about today are a little bit unfair because uh, we've talked about roads that we have come to a choice. Both of these are kind of roads that we walk on and God hijacks the road. Because those two guys did not plan to start out on a road to Revelation. They were just going about their day. They were just doing what they were doing. And that's the thing about Revelation. Revelation can come at any moment, at any time. I have to be ready to receive Revelation wherever it steps into my life. And so it's important for us to understand that God needs to reveal himself through our circumstances. He needs to reveal himself through our, our, whatever's taking place in our life in that moment. And then we also need God to reveal himself in a personal way outside of just a group setting. The other deal is, is we have to understand, and this is why we need to know him in a personal way, is because he may not show up when and in the form that we thought. They, those guys were not ready for Jesus to show up. There was no expectation that Jesus would show up that day. Second of all, whether it's as Mark said, he was in some different physical form. He was, he, they just mistook him for a stranger. And that revelation sometimes shows up in an unexpected place and in an unexpected way. Brother Gene just mentioned this morning how how, uh, they were cleaning out the dumpster at at the house there, and they came and they brought him a book, and and the Lord spoke to him. I won't go into the whole story because I'll probably mess it up. But the Lord spoke to him. Let's just say the Lord spoke to him out of the dumpster. There we go. There we go. The Lord speaks in unexpected ways, and that shouldn't just happen to the preacher. The Lord can speak in unexpected moments while we're in our common, everyday existence, if you would. They were just going home from the festival. They were going home from church and God spoke to them in a way. It's important for us to understand that he may not show up when and in the form we thought, but we have to be ready and expecting to receive revelation from him. The second thing is, is they needed a revelation because they had it all wrong about what Jesus was and what he came to do. We find when, they read, when, when we read the story on down, Jesus says, what's going on? And they begin to tell him, don't you know about this guy and all this stuff that's going on? And in that narrative, they call him a prophet. And they say the chief priests and rulers delivered him over. You see, they didn't really understand what was going on. I think uh, they needed to have a revelation of what Jesus really came to do. You see, because he was no prophet. They said, in fact, we saw him as our redeemer, meaning from the Romans, They still didn't understand that he was not a physical deliverer. They never comprehended the fact that he was their Messiah, that he was there to save their soul. They didn't understand that. They didn't understand that the chief priests and rulers did not deliver Jesus Christ. They did not capture Jesus Christ. They did not force him to the cross. But Jesus Christ gave himself willingly. They didn't understand these facts about it. And so Revelation when uh, when when God when Jesus began to speak to them, they suddenly began to receive a revelation near the end of the story that this was more than just a prophet. This was more than someone that the chief priest had just captured. No, this was someone who truly was the Son of God. You see, revelation, when I receive revelation in my life, and, and again, we're trying to cram up revelation into 20 minutes, revelation allows you to look past what you want God to be <laughs> I want him to be my redeemer from the Romans. I want him to be this in my life. I want him to be that in my life. Revelation allows me to look past what I want God to be and see him for for who he really is. I begin to see God for who he really is. And you know what? When God reveals himself to me in that form or fashion, that's really what I need. You see, they thought they needed a redeemer from the Romans. They thought that's what they needed in their life. But what they really needed were their souls redeemed. Revelation allows me to look past what I want God to be, and it reveals to me what I really need in my life. Here's one of the problems with Revelation, though. In one of the verses there following, it says, in fact, about the Redeemer, they were upset that He died, because, and they said these words, but we trusted that He was going to be this, that He was going to be that. That means they believed. That means they believed. They believed. Here's one of the barriers to revelation taking place in my life Revelation requires me to take something that was once believed And admit that it was wrong and believe something else How many of you like to just you just you just love saying you're wrong How many husbands have as your ringtone your wife saying you're right That's the only time she said it but you put it as a ringtone You just call, you try and call yourself so you can just hear that every so often. (laughs) said, but we trusted. You have to take your trust in your belief. And let me just say, if you've ever really believed something and had to change it, that's tough. I'm not just talking about, you know, something, you know, well, I didn't know that this, you know, some far off, anyway, I don't know what I'm trying to say, some goofy fact or something like that. But something that you really believe, something that you hold that this is true, this is how I'm going to live my life, this is how I'm going to do things, and you have to change that, that's difficult. Of course, we experience it when we come to an altar of repentance and we say, this way I'm living my life is not right, I'm going to follow after Jesus Christ, that, that is a, a revelation and I take my trust from here in myself and my way and put it in God, that is something that takes a lot of work. It, it, in fact, it requires, as Paul says, I must crucify myself. But you know what? That's not the only time that I sometimes, if I want revelation in my life, sometimes I have to take things that I hold true and these are values or this is the way I was raised or this is, the th- this is what I know to be true. And, and sometimes God steps in and says, you know what? That's not quite right. And his word reveals things or a sermon reveals something to you. And that's difficult because I have to look back and say what I believed was wrong. And sometimes it's at that point that we say, I can't accept that revelation into my life. We got to keep moving. Bless you. Bless you. We also, revelation, I think this is an important aspect of this particular road as well. Because after Jesus hears all the explanation for their sorrow, why they're upset, all this has happened, Jesus decides it's time to do something. Again, we don't know how long Jesus walked with them, but in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, it says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, how would you like that sermon? (laughs) He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, I don't know if he spoke for two hours I'm not sure how long, but it says he expounded all the things in scriptures. How many prophecies are there about Jesus in the Old Testament? I don't know if he covered them all, but it says he talked for a while would be my idea. First thing is, revelation very often looks obvious when you look back. Once he's revealed it to you, you think, man, how did I not see that before? Okay, And here's the other thing. Sometimes I think we need to step on this road because what What Jesus did was he told the story of himself. He told the story of Israel. I think it's important for us sometimes, and and, and we can do it in our own minds, but sometimes I think we need a revelation where God takes us through our past and God shows us where he was the whole time. I know sometimes we can, we can look back over our life and think things over and then we can truly say that I've been blessed, but sometimes I think we need God just to reach down and just reveal to us where he's been the whole time. That you know what? Chance and fate do not play an equation in my life. No, the hand of God has been in my life. And we can look at the big moments. We can look at the the big times when I, I was saved and there was this wreck or this happened and this almost. We can see those moments, but that's not the only moments that God was involved in my life. And sometimes I think I need a revelation that God has always been there in the big things and in the little things. And I need to understand that about Him that I didn't even realize that I was walking next to him. And it's not just on the road to Emmaus, but he's been walking next to me my entire life, whether I knew it or not. And sometimes I just need that revelation that you know what? He has always been there. I know he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I know that he will never leave me or forsake me, but sometimes I need a revelation of that in my life. We got to hurry up. Quit slowing me down. Luke chapter 24 and verse 22. We're going to finish up with Revelation here in just a minute. The whole book of Revelation. Luke 24 and verse 22. It says, Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And this kind of ties in with what we just talked about, that Revelation is something a little bit deeper than knowledge. This is in their account of what they have heard, what has taken place in Jerusalem. Now, this, this lets us know that they were probably associated with the disciples in some way. Because it says, certain women of our company made us astonished. This is uh, Mary and them that went to the tomb, and they said he's not there. So they were around to hear this story. They were close enough to call those women of our company, and they were around to hear that story. And it says, we were amazed. We were amazed. Now, I'm not going to, I know sometimes I like to go off on songs and different things. I'm not going to go off on the song, Lord, I'm amazed by you, because I like that song. And I think we should be amazed by the Lord. But that's what the word astonishment means. It's amazed. Certain women of our company made us amazed, which were early at the sepulchre, and they go on to say he wasn't there. Amazement is not revelation. Amazement's not revelation. You see, this is the road of revelation. Amazement can stir, but it cannot open the eyes. Because something had stirred inside of them They were astonished There was something going on in them But what amazement allowed them to return home They were amazed But it wasn't enough to keep them They heard that story Wow, I wonder what happened Okay, we're going off back home But it's interesting to read That once Jesus is revealed to them Once he breaks the bread And they realize that this is Jesus Christ It tells us that they did something Now the reason Why, why was Jesus at their house? Anyone know? Why was Jesus at their house having dinner with them? Because it was late at night. They were traveling, it was late at night. And they said, you know what? It's late at night. Why don't you spend the night? And Jesus said, okay, I'm going to come eat dinner. And so they ate dinner. So it's nighttime. The, The amazement allowed them to leave Jerusalem Jesus reveals himself to them at nighttime they're in jerusalem. They hear the story like man, it's getting late We probably need to get on home. That's a great story. Wow. That's uh, that's amazing. I don't know what's going on We need to get home. Jesus reveals himself. It's now nighttime and you know what they do? They immediately get up and go back to jerusalem two hours revelation causes a change within you Amazement can allow you to go home and nothing really be this, really change, But revelation brings about a change in your life It does more than just stir you and cause something to happen. No revelation does something to you Let me- <laughs> How many times you gone home from church and if we were to send out uh, if we were to do questionnaires after and we call you up two hours after church and Say that was an amazing service What was it about? Sometimes you might be able to call me and ask me, and I'd say that was amazing service, and then someone asked me, what was it that you preached? No, I'm joking. You see, amazement allows us to have a moment and then leave. Revelation causes us to change something within us. You know what, I, and I'm not saying every single service, I'm not saying every single time revelation, and I understand that because these are roads that we don't have to travel every single day, but there must be moments of revelation in our life when it's more than just a service, when it's more than just something that stirs us for a moment, but when we go to work Monday, something is different about us, that we are not thinking the same way that God has done some, a revelation has occurred to us. And I would challenge you just to take inventory of your life and say, when was the last time that God revealed something to me that it caused a change in my life that I was willing to get up in the middle of the night and, 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 and walk two hours back to Jerusalem for? We have to travel those roads sometimes. The road of revelation. And I'm here to challenge you because they were amazed at the story of the women. Don't just be amazed at somebody else's story. I'm not saying don't be amazed. I'm saying don't just be amazed. Don't just be amazed by testimonies. I'm glad for every testimony, and I believe that we need to hear people's testimonies. But what Revelation does is it gives me my own testimony. I believe we should rejoice with every testimony we hear, but we need to have testimonies within our own lives. Just like when we read missions reports, I don't want to just be amazed by the missions reports. I want to be thankful, but I want to have a revelation and I want God to do revival here as well. You see, we need something that we, do, that we hear about and we just leave. No, I want something to change within myself. I want something to change within us. The road to Emmaus, the road of revelation. Last road. There you go, Revelation in 20 minutes. The road to Damascus. The road to Damascus. This is a road of transformation. Again, this is not necessarily a road that you choose. God sometimes just hijacks the road and says, I'm stepping in. You think you're on the road of your own business. You're just going about doing your thing and God steps in. Have you ever been there before? Acts chapter 9 verses 3 through 5. And as he journeyed, this being Saul, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Saul was continuing to do what he thought was right, and Jesus interrupts him in an extremely dramatic way. Jesus utters that statement, it's hard to kick against the pricks. Now, this was a common term, one that was easily recognizable. It referred to the practice of the time where they would use a long stick with an iron point on the end. It was called a goad, much like a spear, and they would drive oxen with it. In fact, if you read about David's mighty men, it was with one of these uh, goads that he slew 6,000 men, which is pretty amazing because it's just like a spear. And he killed, I don't know how he killed 600 men with a spear. That's crazy. I don't know if he threw it and it went through a bunch of people. Then he went and got it and then ran back and threw it again. Or I don't know. Think about that for a while. But oxen could be stubborn. And being large animals, it was difficult to get going if they changed their mind. And the goad was there to push them when and where they needed to go. Now if the oxen decided to not go or they decided to back up, then they would only hurt themselves more. It was hard and it hurt To push against the goad. And this is what Jesus is referring to. Now, many authors, and in fact, I kind of lean towards this myself, although it doesn't specifically say it, but based on the magnitude of this Damascus Road experience. I mean, he's traveling, and a light shines down. He's thrown from his horse. He's blinded a voice from heavens. Is Jesus himself speaking to him? This is a pretty dramatic experience. I mean, it's one of the most dramatic conversion experiences in Scripture. And based on that phrase, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks, uh, I I kind of lean towards the idea that perhaps this was not the first attempt by God to break into Saul's life. That this might have been one of the last attempts by God to break into his life. Because, well, I don't know, that may not be true. He just may have decided, I'm going to slap him upside the head first time. Some of us need that. But it kind of lends itself to the view that he, he utters that, he does all of this because uh, nothing else has worked to this point, and he utters that phrase about being it hard to kick against the goads, because he's been doing that. He's been doing it. So it kind of has that idea. And that's that phrase that I want to focus on when we look at the road to transformation. Because in that phrase, it's hard for thee to kick against the goads, that idea I want to, there's just a few things. First of all, it's hard, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible. (laughs) It's not smart, but it's not impossible. Ever seen those tire things, you know, where if you drive over them the right way, the things go down, but if you drive in the other way, it's got spikes all there. It's not impossible to drive over those spikes. It's not smart. It's a little bit hard to do it. I mean, you've got to be ready to do it. But you can do it. And you know what you could do? You could back your car up, they'd lower down, and you could do it again. You could do that as many times as you want. That's not very smart. All right, now let's look at our lives. Hmm. How many times have you backed up and just kept ramming into the same thing again? How many times has God spoke to you? And you've ignored it, and you just kept backing right up into the goad. Hmm. Second thing is, the more you go against something, the greater it's going to hurt yourself. Now, I speak from personal experience. Uh, I can say I'm pretty good at backing up over the thing and ramming myself right back into the spikes. I'm pretty good at that. I'm a pro at that. But it's important for us to understand that that's not the smart way. That's not the road to transformation. Transformation does not occur when I go against it. In fact, in Isaiah 45, it says, Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the par- potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. That's kind of a weird word to say. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou or thy work? He hath no hands. This is talking about how we respond to God. And does the clay say to the potter, This is what I want to do? This is what I want to be. This is how I think you should form me. No. Then why do I do it? Why do I do it? Why do I say to my maker, this is what I think should happen. This is how I think it should be. And when God starts prompting me in certain directions, why do I buck against it? Why do I fight against it? When his word tells me to do something, why do I go against it? How many of you can honestly say, you don't have to raise your hand and lie or not lie, whatever, because we're honestly saying that you've heard something, you thought, man, that was real important, and you feel like God spoke to you, <laughs> and then you know, looking back, that all you did was keep running back into that goad, because you didn't want to change, or you didn't want to do what you felt God tell you to do. And you know who ended up hurt? Yourself. Now, there's, there's an interesting story that in the Old Testament that perfectly exemplifies what it's like to run back into the goads continually, to run back into that spike, and continually hurt yourself. It's the story of Jonah. Now, we can, we can uh, surmise from various passages that Jonah was, was probably a prophet already. This may have been the first time that God spoke to him, but he was probably already used by God, so he recognized the voice of God. He knew that it was the voice of God. We don't find him wondering if it was. He knew it was, and he immediately started arguing against that voice. But we find the story of Jonah. God tells him to go preach to Nineveh. He says, I'm too scared. See, sounds pretty familiar. God speaks and says, I'm too scared. Go pray for someone at the altar. I'm too scared. What will people think? Go do this. Go talk to that person. I'm too scared. Jonah says, I'm too scared to do that. So he gets on a boat, heads to Tarshish. He goes the other way. (laughs) And he thinks if I go the other way, God can't find me. Man, why does this sound so familiar? And he finds himself in the middle of a storm on a boat. Everyone's freaked out. He's asleep. He says, you know what? I think it's me. No way. think it's me. Throw me overboard. Before long, God's speaking to him one moment. That's the place you want to be, right? God's speaking to you, telling you what to do. Finds himself in the belly of a whale. Whale of a belly. I mean, belly of a whale. And there's been instances, maybe in your life, where you found yourself in a situation, you think, how in the world did I end up in this stinky, nasty situation? Let me say this. Jonah found himself in the middle of a storm. There's a lot of storms in the scripture. God brought the storm up. There's storms of, we know, there's storms of life. We know that life happens to us. We just find ourselves in a storm. We know the enemy can sometimes come in and and, and do things to try to destroy us. We know that there's storms that are tests and are trials. Only you can know this, though. Whether the storm that you're in is a test or trial or because you're kicking against the goads. Because only only you know what God has spoke to you, (laughs) and I've found myself in storms before, and you know the only reason I was in that storm was my own fault. Lord, deliver me. Well, why don't you do what I said? No, just deliver me. It's awful. It's horrible, and I find myself in a situation where I think, how in the world? No, see, this road to Damascus, this road that we're on, when God reaches down, he wants to transform our lives. That means there's going to be change in our life. He wants to do something within our life. The point of this road is transformation, that God wants to take us from one point to another, and he cares enough about transforming my life that he is willing to put me through a trial. He is willing to do those things to me because he cares enough about my transformation. Transformation begins with repentance. Transformation begins with repentance. Change in my life begins with repentance. Whether it's the change when I first come to an altar and say, Lord, not my way, I want your way. Transformation requires repentance. It doesn't matter what transformation has taken place in my life. It always starts with repentance. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I want to follow after you repentance states that i don't want to be this person anymore i want to follow after god it then requires me to accept the change what is god trying to do within my life it's not enough just to repent it's not enough just to do that Uh, scripture tells us that there was the lady who cleaned out her house and she cleaned out the devil out of her house and then before long she just left it empty and seven more came in worse than before it's not enough just to repent there has to be something that fills that and that's accepting the change If you would, in in Jonah chapter 2, if we could entitle, and I'm not going to read the whole prayer, but if we could, we could entitle Jonah's prayer, the prayer of the ox goad, the prayer from the belly of the whale. And the reason he was in the belly of the whale was his own fault, because God told him to do something, and he said, I'm not willing to be transformed, I'm not willing to change, I'm not willing to do what you asked. And it ends this way, Jonah chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. You see, when I find myself in this place, when I find myself running from the transformation that God wants, when I find myself running from what God has asked me to do, when I find myself running from the change that God is wanting to do in my life. The first thing I have to do is take ownership that the reason I am where I am is because of me. And you know what? We, it's amazing because we decry the lack of responsibility in our world, and yet I think we all just have a little bit of that within us. It's my fault that I'm here. It's not God's fault. It's not anyone else's fault. It's my fault that I'm here. He had to take ownership and then he had to remember God. He had to go back to the starting point. He had to remember, it says that he remembered the Lord and that his prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. He had to come to that moment of repentance and acceptance of what God was wanting to do through and in him. That doesn't seem like a very tough thing to to do. It doesn't seem very hard to accept what God wants to do through you. But quite often it is. Quite often it is. There's someone saying I'm right. Sometimes when God speaks to us and tells us what he wants us to do, we're just like Jonah and fear invades our heart. Doubt invades our heart. Self-confidence drains from us. Self-worth drains from us. Sometimes it's a lot harder to accept what God wants to do through you than we ever thought was possible. And he had to recognize and realize that God was wanting to do something through and in him. Then he realized that mercy was available when he turned to God. He said, they that observe lying vanities, they forsake their own. those people that worship idols and do the people I'm going to preach to. They, they don't have any mercy. They've forsaken it by worshiping something else. But when I turned to God, I realized that his mercy is still available. And that's the great thing about God is that his mercy is still available. Whether I refuse, I could refuse him for 50 years of my life. But in that 51st year, if I turn to him, guess what? His mercy is still available. It's never too late to repent. And I'm not just talking about salvation. If God spoke to me 25 years ago and said, I want to do this, and I've run from him for 25 years, it's never too late to repent and say, God, I'm willing to be used by you. Now, it may look a little bit different now, but he will still be willing to, uh, to, to give mercy to you. Sometimes we don't believe that verse, we quoted to people who are coming to an altar that he's faithful and just to forgive us, but sometimes that's the biggest thing that some of us struggle with that walk with God, that he's still willing to forgive us. Right. Yeah. And then he said, I'm going to thank you, Lord, from the belly of the whale. I'm going to follow you like I said I would. When I was a young person and said, I'll do anything for you, Lord, and then you came calling, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. And that my salvation doesn't come from what I do. I can't save myself. I can't get on a boat and head out to where I want to go. No, my salvation comes only from you. And then the very next verse, once he does this, verse 10, it says, Then God spoke to the whale and told him to spew him out. As soon as he came to this point. Now, I don't know if it was, I I would, you know, there's the three day thing and Jonah being three days in the whale and Jesus being three days in the tomb and that typology and all that stuff. I don't know. If that was the point of it, or if the point was to get Noah, uh, Jonah to this point. <laughs> How long have we been in the belly of the whale sometimes till we realize? Whether it's being stuck in the whale or being struck blind on the road to Damascus, it's about being on the road of transformation. Now again, it doesn't mean that every single day some massive transformation takes place within my life. That's not what these roads are about, but these are about points in my life When I say, Lord, I I recognize that you're trying to do something within me. I've gone to the altar and prayed, I want to follow you. I've gone to the altar and and, and laid it all and said, I'm willing to sacrifice for you. And then God comes and says, here's what I want to do. And transformation has to take place. What are you going to do when he knocks you off the horse? Some of us just say, well, I'll learn to ride a horse blind. You see, but it can't ever be the same, though. It can't ever be the same. Saul could have got back on his horse. Jonah could have lived in the, in, in the belly of the whale. That would have been weird. But it can never be the same because you have knowledge of the call now. Once you've received a call from God, no matter how great or how small, you can't ever go back. Remember, all the way to the poem, all the way to the start, he said, I took this road thinking maybe I'll come back and take that one, but knowing you can't ever really get back to it. Once you, Once you receive the call of God, you can't ever walk back to a point when you didn't know what it felt like to not feel the call of God. Let me just say you're stuck with it. Whether you accept it or not, you're stuck with it. I wonder how many people are in a storm right now or have experienced a storm and it has nothing to do with the test, has nothing to do with the devil, But it's simply because you keep running right back into the ox goad. God's prodding you. He's saying, I want you to do this. I want you to go there. I want you to be this. And all you keep doing is backing up. Backing up. Why is my life like this? Why is the storm here? I wonder if God's wanting to transform you. I would challenge you, in fact, that if that's happening, that you are on the road of transformation. And God is wanting to change you into something different. You see, Jonah wasn't the same man. I know he still had issues afterwards, but he wasn't the same man. Saul, he had his name changed to Paul. He wasn't the same man. God is wanting to change and transform your life. I pray that revelation and transformation hit your life at some point. If they haven't yet, I would, I would encourage you to pray, Lord, reveal yourself to me in a greater way. Lord, change me, do whatever I need. Transform me, knock me off my horse if you have to. Lord, I'm willing to do what you've called me to do. I want us to stand this morning. And I want us to pray. And you don't have to pray specifically for those things, but I would ask that you would would, uh, pray that if those points come in your life, that you'd be willing to walk those roads. Lord Jesus, we come before you. We're thankful.